why did Sarah laugh and say, can I really bear a child when I'm old? In other words, this old? <laughs> it's no wonder that Sarah was incredulous. You got to remember the background. When Abram and Sarah E were already, you know, pretty old, like in middle age and moving on up there, um, the Lord continued to lay his call on Abram to leave his father, his father's household. Um, and not just the Chaldean household, but the, the newer household in Haran. And to, to, to just take off to somewhere that God promised to show Abram. Abram didn't know, but the Lord started making these promises about, uh, you know, ultimately, centrally about how all the nations would be blessed through the seed, through the offspring of this man, Abram. Problem was, he didn't have any children yet, and he certainly didn't have a big family. How's the entire world going to be impacted and changed and even blessed and saved through this man and through his offspring when he doesn't have any offspring? So we, we follow the story, you know, through those chapters of Genesis moving from the end of Genesis 11 through that promise uh, that's uh, recorded there at the beginning of Genesis chapter 12, continuing to put Abram in motion, ultimately taking Abram to Canaan and then kind of back and forth with some uh, trip to Egypt, etc. But but, but now, this, this is years later, when we have the great visitation, the great advent, of the Lord to Abraham. He's now called Abram Abraham, the father of many nations. And Sarai is not just a little princess, a princess to be. She is the princess. That's what her name means, Sarah. She's now called Sarah. But she has no children. And folks, ladies, gentlemen, she's passed her cycle. Everything's over now. There is no <laughs> she is about 90 years old. And, and even when you take into account, okay, well, sometimes the years and the Genesis and Old Testament seem to be a little bit different. We, we are flat out told in the scripture. Uh, here's the problem. You go back to Genesis 18, 11. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old. I mean, this is even by Genesis standards. They are old. Advanced in years, in case you didn't get the message. <laughs> Genesis 18, 11, the first part. And then the second part of verse 11. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Do you hear what is being said? In case you're daft and are missing the point. There is no way, humanly, biologically, on the ground, on the earth, possible. Abraham's 99 going on 100, but that's not the problem. I mean, he can still be a father. The big problem is the way of women had ceased with Sarah. Verse 12 of 18, so Sarah laughed to herself. She was kind of polite. She didn't laugh out loud, you know, inside the tent with the Lord being outside and uh, in present form. But she, she laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out. Any of you all worn out? Anybody worn out? 
When you get to the point of saying, I'm worn out, I'm past the way of women, okay, and I'm worn out. Any of you expecting to have a child about that time? Sarah, after I am worn out and my Lord, she's talking about Abraham, is old, shall I now have pleasure? Any of you feel like that? Well, she definitely felt like that. Verse 13, the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, can I really bear a child when I am old? And then the beginning of verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? That is the central question of God's message of the Bible of faith. If you don't know the answer to that question, the rest of this is not going to make any sense to you. And you're not living in communion with him. This is the central question today for you, for us. I don't know, Pastor, you know, it's been a pretty hard year. Yeah, I know it's been a hard year. And there are things that we can't understand. I know that. And things seem to keep getting worse instead of better. I know that. So let me ask you this. Where are you on the question? Is anything too hard for God? What do you think? There's certain mountains God can't climb after he created them. What do you think? Um, Hayipale, Yahweh, Dabar, Dabar. The, the, the Hebrew here, the, the, of this rhetorical question from the Lord God himself, Dabar means either, well, any of the following, thing, cause, or what I would usually translate it as word. Is any word, in other words, is any declaration too hard for God to follow through on? Are there certain things that God can't say and make happen? Question, right? Some of this, well, you know, pastor, this was kind of poetic, and, you know, God came through on, hey, he came through at least on half of the stuff he promises. That kind of where we are, but the rest of it we kind of need to explain away and put out. What do you think? Is any word... Any declaration too hard for God to fulfill? Anything that God can't handle? Any cause that God cannot effectuate? Is there any cause that God cannot effectuate? What do you think? Um, the question, the, the, the lead question, the verbal, goes into this question of is anything, is any difficulty too great for God. Um, the pala there actually could be translated is any miracle too much for God, or literally, is there any miracle for God? You ever think about that? I was thinking about that when I was looking at this text. For God, nothing's a miracle, right? Isn't that staggering to think about? It's a miracle for us. 
but, but the word would be, these words would be saying, is there something that God would sit there and say, well, man, that would take a miracle. I have no idea how that would happen. Is there anything like that for God? No, there is no miracle for God because God can do everything. Do you hear what, this, this is the rhetorical question. This is what God is laying out for Abraham and for us. It is a rhetorical question. Abraham doesn't need to answer. And thankfully, in this case, Abraham is wise enough not to interrupt God. <laughs> Do you ever interrupt God when he asks you a question? This is a rhetorical question. You know, you know what a rhetorical question is, right? The answer is obvious. So what is the obvious answer to this question? Is anything too hard for God? Is any word too difficult for God to fulfill? What's the answer? No. No. Abraham knows enough not to sit there and interrupt God and say, well, actually, Lord, uh, there may be a few things that you can't pull off. Is that what you do when you kind of talk to God? I know this may be too tough for you, God, but I just kind of wanted to throw it out there in case you might be able to deal with it. Don't know if you can or not. Yahweh continues. Jehovah continues. The Lord continues repeating what he had said earlier. Okay, this is back earlier uh, when he first arrives. At the appointed time, I will return to you. About this time next year. Yep, Abraham, you're going to get a really interesting 100th birthday present. About this time next year, Sarah shall have a son. Abraham doesn't answer, but God does. And he comes through. No surprise there, right, Christian? You go ahead and read about it. It's later. There's other stuff that happens. But uh, a year later, uh, Genesis 21, verses 1 through 3, tell us what happened. The Lord visited Sarah. Wait a minute. Yeah, we got another visitation here. The Lord visited Sarah, as he had said. The power of the Spirit of the Lord brings this miracle about. It's not just that God said, well, you know what, I'll set a few things in motion. It, it, it'll probably happen. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord, you just don't miss that in Genesis 21.1. These words are huge and connect directly with where we're ending up going today and a couple Sundays from now. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. The Lord visits, the Lord intervenes himself. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him. We get the big buildup here, right? What's his name going to be? Yitzhak, which means what? Come on, Bible people. What's it mean? Yitzhak. Laughter. Isaac, laughter. Now, you move on in the story, and this, this, this storyline, you know, we get a bunch of chapters on this, so to speak. Isaac, the boy, Yitzhak, laughter. He, he later has a wife named Rebecca, who is barren for many years, just like Sarah was barren. Rebecca is barren. 
Genesis 25, 21 tells us Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Keep going. Isaac, two sons, right? Jacob, Esau. Jacob's beloved wife, okay? He's got two wives. Remember the story. It's another, another sermon for another day, but he's got two wives. He didn't want two wives. He ends up with two wives. The sisters, Leah and Rachel. Well, Leah is very fruitful, but Rachel, the beloved one, is not for years and years and years. But then God hears her and opens her womb, and she has two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. You keep going in the Old Testament, this, this storyline keeps continuing. You get all the way to Hannah, married to Elkanah. She's barren, and she's at the tabernacle of the Lord at Shiloh, right? And she is crying out to God, and the Lord allows her to have a son, and that son is named Samuel, Shimuel. God hears. God has heard. God repeatedly gives the answer in all kinds of ways to God's rhetorical question. Is anything too hard for me? What's the answer? Come on, folks. What's the answer? Anything too hard for God? No. Is any word or declaration too hard for God to follow through on? No. This is the central creed, at least the axis of the central creed, of the entire Old Testament, of all the Hebrew scriptures. Nothing is too hard for God Almighty. He rules everything beyond things you can even begin to imagine. So what about you in your life? Are you living by the creed or not? Do you believe? We come now to Advent. Are you preparing? And let me tell you, central to your preparation is your answer to that question. You want to have a real Christmas? You want to be ready and not be surprised when Jesus returns and <laughs> you are before him face to face? That's going to be majestic, isn't it? Are you going to be ready? Well, well, central to your preparation, your spiritual preparation, and God's preparing of you, of me, is the answer to this question. What's going on in you? Let me ask you, what's going on in you right now, in your life? Are you in, on fire for the Lord? Are you looking for miracles? Are you seeing miracles? Do you see him at work? Would you talk to him in your prayer life? Is it a passionate conversation? And are you pausing and shutting your mouth so that he can give the answer to the question, is anything too hard for me? I know you're concerned about this. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. Are you interrupting him and putting him aside or telling him what you need him to do instead of allowing him to be the Lord and God of your life? Where are you this Advent? This is a, a real question, right? If we're going to be serious about Christmas, serious about preparing for his return. It's Advent, the Lord's visitation. What's your attitude spiritually after nine months and more of COVID? And COVID concerns. 
What's your attitude about that kind of stuff? What's your attitude about finances and the fact that your retirement may not be exactly where it was a year ago? What's your, what's your position on that? What's, what's your spiritual attitude? Um, G.K. Chesterton, in his collection of essays published early in the 20th century, Tremendous Trifles, said this, I love this line, the world will never starve for want of wonders, but only for want of wonder. In other words, there are miracles going on all around you. The question is, do you have eyes to see? Do you have wonder and faith to catch the miracles? Chesterton says, the object of my school is to show how many extraordinary things even a lazy and ordinary person, got any lazy and ordinary people among us? (laughs) Even a lazy and ordinary person may see if he can spur himself to the single activity of actually looking and seeing. He says, for this purpose, you know, he's got a sense of humor. He says, for this purpose, I have taken the laziest person of my acquaintance, myself, (laughs) and made an idle diary of such odd things as I have fallen over by accident in walking in a very limited area at a very indolent pace. Have you done your journal, your spiritual journal for 2020 yet? Have you noted the miracles yet? I mean, it's a good time to do it. Like, we're, we're down to the last weeks, and we're, we're getting ready for Christmas and New Year's, right? Even among the laziest among us, can, can we actually, like, remember a few things that God has done in our lives this year? He says, the joy of Satan is, is standing on a peak is not a joy in largeness, but a joy in beholding smallness. This is, this is what Satan loves. In fact, that all men, all people look like insects at his feet. That's what Satan wants. Satan wants us to be small and powerless, to not see who God is and not to live in that strength. What's your attitude of mind today for Advent? Well, this brings us to the Annunciation. Luke 1, 26 through 38 is the entire segment of this scripture. We'll return to the larger segment next or a couple of Sundays from now. This is, when I say the Annunciation, what I'm talking about is the message of the archangel Gabriel to Mary and Nazareth. Now, look, we're talking about one level of impossibility with Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Hannah, et cetera, et cetera. But if this makes sense, it really kind of is crazy to talk about it. But we're talking about an entirely different level of impossibility when we get to the Annunciation. The bringing forth through fallen mortal flesh, the incarnate coming of the holy, eternal Son of God, We're not talking about just a baby, even a baby of promise and God's covenant promise. We're talking about the holy, eternal God incarnate in our mortal flesh through a young, teenage, maiden, virgin, Mary. And here comes the Son of God, born as a powerless baby, the infinite became an infant. The infinite became an infant, as Spurgeon says. Is anything too hard 
for God. Is any word of God going to be broken? One twenty-six of Luke. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a, a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth, really? I'll come back to this in a couple of weeks. This just—I mean, Nazareth isn't even mentioned in the entire Old Testament. There's a proverbial saying, right? That Nathaniel repeats: "Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You got to be joking." Nazareth, yeah, yeah. When God finally decides to bring on the incredible turn of all history, he sends Gabriel to Podunk, never heard from Nazareth, to Mary. Verse 30, Luke 1:30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. I'll come back to this in a couple of weeks, but this is a big deal because Luke, who writes very differently, right, than Mark, you spend a lot of time in Mark or Matthew, this is the first time you get the name in Luke's gospel. We've been waiting for it. We've been hearing a lot about Zacharias and Elizabeth and John, Now, finally, we get the name of this one. He will be great, verse 32, and will be called Son of the Most High. I just mentioned Elizabeth, who's another one of these barren women. She picks up on the Old Testament theme, you know, like Sarah, etc., all the way through Hannah and beyond, right? Elizabeth is like them. She's barren. By her husband, Beyond when it should happen. It's a miracle that it happens. She can't have a child. She's too old. She has a child by her husband, Zacharias. That's a miracle. That's that's impossibility, right? But now we're talking about an impossibility at an entirely different level. Again, if you can imagine that, right? Because we're we're not talking about like, well, you know, um, the Lord is going to, in a couple of years after you follow through with your betrothal to Joseph and you marry him, you're going to have a son by Joseph. This is not what's being discussed here, and Mary knows it. This is not at all what's being discussed. And on top of that, John, when Gabriel goes to Zechariah, he says, hey, he's going to be called great. John is great. As Jesus says, John is the greatest until the coming of the Son of God on earth, the greatest person who ever lived. He's the one who points to the Son of God, greater than Alexander the Great, greater than Moses, etc. All the... But anyone in the kingdom is greater than John, Jesus says. And what's the turning point? Well, now we're talking about a totally different level of greatness. Yeah, John will be great, but this one is going to be great in the following way. He is the son of God. Not just the prophet of God. The son of God. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? In other words, she gets what is being said to her. It's not like, well, you know what, in a few years it'll kind of work out and we'll, we'll give you a baby by Joseph. No, 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 this is not. And she's asking a question here. She's not refuting this. She's not rejecting this. She's like, how? Verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child 
to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Back to the Old Testament kind of line of story, verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. The greatest verses in the Bible. One of the greatest verses in the Bible. You need to know that verse. No word with God will ever fail. That's another way to translate that. That's the way the NIV does. Because rhema in the Greek, same thing as I was telling you with dabar in the Hebrew, it can mean word or thing. No word's impossible, no thing's impossible. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Now, what are we talking about here? We're not talking about name it, claim it. We're not talking about the power of positive thinking. We're not talking about just if you pray it in the name of Jesus, it's going to happen no matter what you snap your fingers and call God to do. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about positive thinking and faith like the guy who jumps off the top of the Empire State Building and at the 50th floor on the way, way down says, so far so good. I think my faith is working. That's not what we're talking about. We're not t- talking about putting God to the test or trying to play God ourselves. The most impossible thing, of course, of all, is that you would be saved, right? Remember from Mark's gospel, as we worked our way through that, the rich young ruler and, and, and Jesus, you know, calls him to real faith and the guy turns away and his disciples are astounded when Jesus says, it's harder for... Um, a rich man to be saved than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Mark 10, 26, and they were exceedingly astonished and said to them, then who can be saved? Mark 10, 27, connect this with our key verse for today, 137 of Luke. Mark 10, 27, Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible. It's impossible for you to be saved. It's impossible for you to be saved. But not with God, for all things are possible with God. Was it impossible by human standards for the Holy Spirit to come upon a virgin and bring forth the Son of God in the flesh? Yeah. Is it impossible with God? No. Is it impossible for the Holy Spirit of God to bring a new birth in you and me, dead people who are dying in sin and going to be buried in the ground? Yeah. It's impossible for us, right? (laughs) You can't get yourself saved. I got myself saved when I came forward and said the right words. No, 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 friend. You got that reversed, only by God. It's impossible for a human being to be saved except by the hand of God and the word of God. God himself is the power bringing fulfillment of all his promises. God is the truth in his word, of his word, for his word. He is the power. He is the truth himself. Augustine says this miracle before us towards which we move to celebrate in this Advent season is incredible. The maker of man became man. The maker of man became man. As Spurgeon puts it, I said it earlier, the infinite became an infant. If we believe in an infinite God, though, here's the thing. We've got to learn to open ourselves to the mystery of his power and to rejoice and believe. This is what Advent is about. This is what this book, this message to you is about. This is what the gospel is about a sovereign God who moves and saves in his unlimited 
power. No word, nothing is impossible for him. So my friend, no matter what you think you're facing right now, no matter what challenges you face, not just with COVID, but if the, if the, uh, the diagnosis comes back, it, it's terminal, it's stage four. If your beloved spouse or mom or dad can't even remember your name. If you've lost a child, if you've lost a grandchild, if you can't see how things are gonna work out precisely, this is the gospel on which you can stand and be raised up by God forever. God can move through and beyond all the challenges of your life. There is nothing that God calls a miracle. We call it a miracle. He calls it his word fulfilled. Nothing's impossible with God. So let me invite you to come with God. Give yourself to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.